0: What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Here with my jolly old partner in crime, Brandon Turner. Hey, Brandon!
1: <laughs> you make me sound like Santa Claus on a rampage. <laughs> Do you remember that old Weird Al song? It was the night Santa went crazy. I don't, but I remember the eating. night Santa went crazy. Anyway, yeah, I, don't know. I made a music video in high school to it. It was awesome. Is it on YouTube? No, but I should put it on there. I do have the VHS.
0: Oh, you have to.
1: I gotta you find a way to, to do that.
0: There are lots of people who would who would click on your video.
1: It was pretty great. I'll have and to look at And then point fingers at you and laugh. Yeah, it would go viral. That's <laughs> what it was. Nice, nice. So things are good. Things are great. Things are great.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's yeah. awesome. Well, we've got a got a cool show ahead today. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty excited about it.
1: Yes, me too. When we you know recorded it a couple of days ago and. Uh, I learned like a thousand things in this episode, so I'm excited for everyone else to get to learn those too.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, before we do, this is show 42 on the bigger pockets podcast. You can check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 42. And, uh, let's just dive in. We're, uh, today we're going to have as a guest, uh, a nice guy named Mike Nelson. Uh, Mike lives and wholesales houses in the Richmond, Virginia area. He's the, uh, Co-founder of Smith & Nelson Properties, LLC, a company that manages real estate in D.C., Maryland, and the Virginia tri-state area. It's interesting. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut was the uh, tri-state area when I grew up. I, I guess there's all sorts of tri-state areas around the country. I didn't even think about that.
1: Washington, Oregon, Idaho, the tri-state <laughs> oh, really? No, I don't think
0: so. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, so uh, Mike uh, Mike blogs at uh, his site, WholesalingHouses101.com, and uh, he's an active poster on the Bigger Pockets forum. Uh, today, this show, guys, it's, uh, it's really chock full of some great tips uh, for getting started and finding success as a wholesaler uh, if you have not yet done any wholesaling this, this is uh, definitely going to be a great show for you to uh, pay attention to. Yep. Of course, uh, you know, make sure to come and ask Mike any questions you have on the show notes again at biggerpockets.com slash show 42. And, uh, you'll be able to find links to all the useful stuff that we talked about. So, uh, without further ado, I'm going to give a quick plug to giving us some feedback on the, uh, iTunes system, uh, leave us a rating and review there we love those they they help us get more visibility for the show we're we're now exceeding 14,000 listens per podcast Ooh. so the show continues to continues to grow it's awesome it's awesome so
2: passive income without the property headache it's possible Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on
3: taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 Exchanges or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company, safe, smart, secure.
0: Anyway, let's get this guy in on the action. Mike, how are you? Welcome to the show. Good to have you.
4: Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, we're
1: glad to have you. Uh, let's, uh, let's do this. Let's go into it. Uh, Why don't we start at the very beginning? Uh, how did you get started? Like, What's your pre-investing era look
4: like? Well, um, the way that I got started in real estate was pretty much reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. Um, a, a good friend of mine, he told me we was both – I graduated college in 2009. We were roommates. And he told me um, once we started work and he was like, you know, this is not for us. We can't do it. I said, I, I, you know what? I feel the same way. He said, I want you to read this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And after reading that book, I called him back. I said, we have to get started in a real estate. We have to get into this assignment, of contracts, wholesaling. So uh, we went out there and did a little bit more research, um, did some research on it and actually got out there and got our first property under contract. Um, to make a long story short, what happened after that is we lost two thousand dollars because we didn't know what to do.
0: Ooh. And
4: I like to tell people that was an expensive education right there. Um, you know, because what happened was we we lost that money to the seller. He took it. He ran away with it. Forced to. You know, he told us he was going to sue us. Um, you know, it's just a bad situation. So after that, we went out there and did some more research and tried to learn about wholesaling and assignments of contract. And um, that led us to where we're at right now.
0: Okay. I got to dig in a little bit. 2000 bucks, you know, not inconsequential. How, how did that go down so that folks listening don't pull off the same mistake uh, that, that you happen to fall into when, uh, when you did this deal?
4: All right. First off, the deal was a, a great deal. The seller ended up selling the property, and the person who uh, you know rehabbed and renovated it, they ended up making over one hundred and fifty thousand. So we was set to make around twenty-two thousand on the property, and you know we didn't know a lot, but we knew that this was a good deal. We got the property under contract, and the seller he told us that he wanted to get the earnest money deposit through PayPal. Okay. Um, he didn't want us to send it to an escrow, you know, to a title company. He said, I want to make sure that you're serious. He knew that it was a good deal. Come to find out later, what happened was they were going to foreclose or the, they was going to sell his, his mother's property at tax auction. Um, you know, it's a a story behind that, but he didn't want to, he didn't want to, uh, deal with our title company. So we sent him the type, the money through PayPal. And then what ended up happening was, um, he gave us the contract he didn't like our title company and he said, I'm not going to settlement. We was about we had a buyer lined up and everything. And we was about to go to um, you know, closing. He said, I don't like this guy. Let's switch title companies. And um he left with our money.
0: Wow. wow. So but but you said now that he was talking about trying to sue you. Seems uh seems it might be the other way around here with, with this guy running off with your money.
4: Well, this what the story is what happened was he didn't get along with the guy at the title company because the property was his mother's and he was trying to get paid off of selling the property and the the guy at the title company he said you know this doesn't seem right you know I don't like what's going on and being that he would not let him go through with the transaction the guy he said I want to go deal with somebody that's gonna let me do this and get paid off of it so um, you know, being that we didn't do that and we used our buyers title company the guy at the title company told us he said I will not let the buyer buy this property if you go to a different title company. And we had it locked up. The contract was getting ready to end. We wanted to see it close. So I tried to work it out. It didn't work out. He said that he was going to sue us for breach of contract because we didn't want to change title companies. And the guy at the title company who was getting ready to close on it, it was his fault. So, you know, he, um, he claimed that he was a lawyer. We didn't know what we was doing. We didn't have an LLC. We didn't know anything. We were scared. So Mm -hmm. it, uh, it it just worked out that way. We lost the money. In sounds
0: recall. sounds like an all around cluster.
4: It was wow wow.
0: All right, so so this didn't work out well. Uh, do 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 we go and uh, give people two thousand dollars from PayPal up front, or do we uh, do we stop doing that? Never. Um, okay. Never. Just I'm, I'm just making sure because you know we got people listening. You know when do we pay our people? We pay them at.
4: At, we, you pay them in escrow. There you, you go. You put the money in, in escrow with a title company or a closing attorney. Never pay them through PayPal.
0: Oh my goodness! Well, that is that that definitely was was a mistake. But you know what? It's it's uh, you live and learn, and and that's uh, hopefully nobody listening ever tries to pull this off and 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 do that because the you know we all make some kind of mistake, and and hopefully that was the one for your career. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what did you, what did you
1: do after that? Then you said you went and got more education. You know, like you learned more. I mean, did you make money on the next project?
4: Um, basically, hanging out on Bigger Pockets. Um, Bigger nice. Pockets was a was a big part of. I, you know me, and I, I tell you about my partner. My partner who told me to read the book "Rich Dad Poor Dad." We ended up starting an LLC and going out there and flipping properties together. But um, reading up on bigger pockets has taught me a lot. And um, the way I actually got into it and got my first deal was that my grandmother was trying to sell her property in Philadelphia. Mm. And when she was trying to sell her property, what I did was I went out there and tried to find the cash buyers in the area. So I sent them postcards. After I sent them postcards. I lucked up by finding another wholesaler by a mistake. So I'm in Virginia. My grandmother's property was in Philadelphia and I tried to sell her property. So I went out there, found Cash Buyers, Um, a gentleman, he owned a rental property. I sent him the postcard. Well, he wasn't interested in selling, but he knew that his grandson was a wholesaler. He knew what he did, so he sent him my postcard. And at the time I got a phone call, he left a voicemail message and he told me, he said, Hey, you know, I'm an investor. I'm wholesale and I do about 50 deals a year. Um, you know, I would like to, you know, do business with you. It seems like, you know, you're doing your thing and you're all the way in Virginia and you're sending out these postcards. Little did he know, I I haven't even had my first deal yet, but me and him partnered up and on that same mailing, I ended up getting a, um, a call from a gentleman who just recently bought a property. He said, I'm looking for properties in the area. If you have any, come my way. So what I did was I partnered up with the gentleman, the other wholesaler, and I sent off postcards to properties around that area. And um, that's how it all got started. That's how I ended up getting my first deal, was partnering up with that gentleman and uh, just sending off postcards.
0: Now, now, did you ever end up getting somebody to buy your grandma's house or or –
4: yeah, we actually, we ended up selling that. Um, we okay. made a little profit on it. We found a buyer. Uh, the the gentleman who I found through that postcard, um, who was a wholesaler, he actually found a buyer for that property. Oh, that's great. That's great.
0: And hopefully she didn't sell it at too much of a discount to shark infested uh, investors.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, she she was happy. She got out. Um, you know, she was happy. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. So how, I mean,
1: how did that partnership, do you still, is that the same partner you have right now or is that a different guy in Uh, the partner you worked with?
4: No, um, this is a different gentleman. Uh, Me and him, we're still on good terms. He actually, um, he exploded (laughs) after, after me and him started working together and he actually went a different direction, but still in real estate, Um, you know, he went to a different market. So, yeah, I, I have different partners who I work with now, but they, they all do the same exact thing that he would be doing for me.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about that partnership? And, and just, into you know, I don't care about the, the, the name or anything, but I'm just talking about the details. How did you guys work together? You know, was it like a 50-50? What, what, did, what did the structure of the partnership look like?
4: Okay, uh... First off, it was a fifty-fifty. Um, you know, everything we did, we split it down the middle, fifty-fifty. The way that I brought something to the table, and the, when what he brought to the table, is when we when I first started with him, I didn't know a lot. Um, you know, I just came off that deal losing two thousand dollars, and the way I got started with him was is I'll get these people calling me after I sent off the postcards. I didn't really know the market. I didn't have MLS access. So what I did was I sent the properties over to him, and I say, hey, what do you think? And then what he'll do is he'll say, you know what, we'll probably if we can get it at this price, we can probably flip it. It'll be a good deal. Um, And that led to all the deals that came in. I'll send them over to him in an email and he'll tell me he'll say, hey, this is what we can offer. We'll call the seller back, offer it, set the appointment up with him. And then he'll go out there, take a look at it, get it under property. I mean, get it under contract, and we'll put both of our names on the contract. And then he'll find a buyer, and we'll close on it and make fifty percent of the assignment fee.
1: Okay, cool. And so, just for clarification, I just want to make sure. Uh, some people, when you say flipping, you're referring to like flipping contracts, correct?
4: Yes, flipping contracts, wholesaling contracts. Okay. Yeah,
1: because I know some people say flip, and some people say wholesale, and so those listening, I want to make sure that we're. Everyone's on the same page that you're you're talking about wholesaling, like, yeah, or flipping contracts. So, okay, cool. Yeah. So, why did you choose wholesaling? You know, after you read Rich Dad Poor Dad, what made you think, oh, I want to be a wholesaler instead of I want to be a house flipper
4: or a you know buy and hold investor? What? How that decision come along? It. When I first got started, it seemed complex. But out of everything, investment, investment properties, um, actually going out there renovating properties, this seemed like it was the, you know, it, it was the easiest way to get into real estate investing. So that's how I, you know, I came upon the wholesaling aspect of, you know, flipping contracts, and I said, I'm going to do this.
0: I, I got to tell you, so I, you know, I'm listening to you and I, I'm thinking to myself, this the 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 tactics that you you employed here to to get that first partner seem like a pretty damn good way to go for, for a new investor to really attach himself to a mentor almost you know so so you find somebody who's you know been doing it for a while you say listen you know i i'll, I'll hustle i'll put the money out on the mailings you know i'll I'll attract the leads you know can i can i shoot them through to you you can help me evaluate them and we could kind of run through the process. I mean, that's about as good as it gets. It sounds like to me.
4: Yeah, and it, and it definitely is. And um, I, I do this in several different markets. And what I came to realize is that for some people, it's you know it, it's a good thing as far as the other investors on the other end. But I have found where I'll go into other markets and I'll say, "Hey, I'm going to bring the leads, and I want you to evaluate them and go out there and look at the property." And guys, would, guys, would just be like, you know, I'm not going to pay you fifty percent for leads, you know, fifty percent of the assignment fee for leads. So, you know, if you can find that right person to work with, it's definitely going to be, you know, their golden ticket to more deals.
1: Yeah, interesting. And, and that comes that comes down or kind of back to that same thing that I I always say that it's better to have you know fifty percent of a deal than hundred percent of no deal. And a lot of people just don't understand that. So. When you go to them and say, I want to you know, partner up with you and get 50%, like I think those people are stupid to not you know, take you <laughs> up on it because what are they missing out on, really? Exactly. All right. So, and you mentioned that you work in other markets. Does that mean that you are virtually wholesaling or does that mean you're, I mean, how does that, what, what are you doing?
4: Yeah, that means I'm, I guess you could say I'm virtually wholesaling, meaning that I'm doing the same thing that I did in Philadelphia with people in other markets.
1: Okay. And how how does that work for those who don't understand virtual wholesaling? What does that even look like?
4: Okay. Uh, what virtual wholesaling is, is basically I'm doing all of the marketing, um, like, I, like I told you guys about before. And I have to find, I like to call them, you know, my boots on the ground. My guys who are going to go out there, tell me what the value of the property is. And they're going to go out there, get it under contract, visit the properties and find buyers. So what I like to do is I like to find individuals like that in other markets and then I'll work with them.
0: And how do you work with them? Are you always doing a 50-50 with them or are you paying them a fee or how does that work?
4: Yes, it's a 50-50, uh, split of the assignment fee. So, you know, if the assignment fee was $5,000, they'll make 2,500, I'll make 2,500.
1: Okay, and yeah. how do you how do you divvy up I mean you talked a little bit about that earlier, I know, but and we're I'm just kind of rehashing it, but how do you divvy up roles exactly? Because I'm working with a partner a, a little bit right now. We're just kind of getting started uh, with some wholesaling, I guess. And so I'm wondering, how do you define, I mean, who who pays for what? Who is in charge of mailing? How does that all look?
4: Yeah, and the way that we like to do it is I'm, sold, I, I'm in charge of mailing. I handle all of mailing. Um, I have an assistant who takes the call, sets appointments for them, and their main role is to get the property under contract, visit the property and find a buyer. So we take the pre-screening and they take everything after that.
1: Okay. And so do you pay 100% of the marketing fees then the direct mail or whatever you're doing? Yes. Okay. All right, cool. And I definitely want to, I want to touch on your direct mail stuff. So uh, I guess, why don't we, I guess, go into that. I mean, we've talked about wholesaling before and flipping contracts on the podcast before, but I like to ask everyone kind of what your exact process is. So why don't we just go very basic from the beginning, how you do things, uh, maybe like start with marketing. How how does that exactly work? You said postcards earlier.
4: Yeah. When I first got started, I used absentee postcards. And, um, what I realized was that when I'll talk to a seller, they'll tell me, they'll say, hey, you know, I get, I get a ton of these postcards, a ton of these yellow letters. And, it, and, and I said to myself, well, I don't want to be the, you know, second, third, fourth guy there. I want to be the first guy there. Um, so that kind of led me to reaching out and trying to find other sources of leads. That's when I got into, um, you know, Back property taxes, uh, code violations, evictions, probates. Um, My favorite thing to do now is I created, um, I have a guy who created a tool for me where I'll scrape the websites for people who owe property taxes. And then I'll have I'll take that list and then go and I'll scrape their addresses from public records. So um, that's my new source of leads right there. Is uh, bad property taxes and um, I, basically I cut my marketing costs down by like at least fifty percent because these are targeted leads and you know not just the shotgun approach where I'm going after absentee owners.
0: Hey, so what what markets are you in? Because I got a guy who's who's going to do that for me, and 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 I'll make you number two again. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Oh yeah, (laughs) I guess I'm not the first. I I want to be the first one. I'm not. Now that's 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 (laughs) cool.
0: That's clever. Um, so so you're you're finding these folks. You're sending them out now. Are you hand? Are you are you guys uh, internally doing the mailings, or are you using a service to do that?
4: At one point, I used to like Yellow Letters, um, but like I said, I wanted to cut costs down. So you know, I just send off postcards now. Um, you know, once we pull the list, I'll have my assistant. She'll upload it to Click to Mail, and we're mailing off um, postcards twice a week.
0: Okay, so you use Click to Mail then? Yes. Okay, got it, got it. All right, so you're sending these guys twice a week. Are you? Uh, you know, w- when we talk about marketing, we we we've had a couple discussions about this. Uh, I know a lot of folks say you need to hit somebody like six, seven times before it makes sense. But but you know when you're talking with back taxes, I'm guessing you're probably trying to do some timing and timing your mailings to to when it's kind of getting close to uh, uh, the the end for, for for these owners. Is that right?
4: Yeah. Well, for that particular late source, yes, we we like to hit them in the beginning of the year and then in the middle of the year. Um, you know, that's when, in the beginning of the year, they'll get their tax bill in the middle of the year they will get, um, you know, they'll get another tax bill because the areas we work in, they do it, um, you know, biannually or they'll do it twice a year. So, um, yeah, that's, that's when we like to hit them. Now I do evictions as well. Um, I don't, I usually just hit them one time because, They will, you know, they'll go to court, we'll get their information, and then, you know, they, it turns out well when we just hit them one time when they first, you know, before they go to court, that works out well. So you're talking about, sorry. Oh,
0: I think
1: we were going to ask the same question. The landlord? Yeah, is that what you mean? You're hitting landlords for eviction stuff? exactly yes that's a great idea that is
0: a good idea find tired landlords folks who are s- tired of yeah. dealing with evictions because I
1: know Man, la- I, yeah last uh, last month when I was dealing with my eviction I mean if I would have gotten a letter like I would have seriously <laughs> considered it because you get really and, emotional
4: and that's how that's how my grandmother um she actually uh that's what that's why she decided to sell her property was because she was getting she the tenant gave her a problem she couldn't collect money from them and she just was saying hey get rid of it
1: that's that's awesome. I mean you that was a uh, yeah, that I'm going to totally totally do that. So. Good tip. I Good love
4: tip. I love Qu- tips like that. That's Quick
1: awesome. Quick tip. Yeah, yeah that's that, great. That was awesome. All um, right, so you want to
0: uh, uh, Take it Josh. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, back to the marketing. Uh all right, so you are, did you completely then disband the other tactics that that you know where you were number two you know did you say listen I, I'm not going to deal with this I don't even want to compete with these guys I'm gonna look for market you know uh, uh, I'm gonna focus on marketing on things that that there's definitely not a lot of competition or are you still marketing but you've kind of tweaked it up a bit
4: well um, I deal with a lot of investors here in Richmond and this is not my main market I rarely do deals so um, you know a couple of close friends here, they are looking for properties. And they're saying, Mike, why aren't you doing anything in Richmond? So um, just recently, this past week, I sent off an absentee uh, mailer. That's the first time I mailed to absentees in about, man, it's been probably a little over a year, maybe. So, um, I mean, absentees are definitely great sources because... It's people who don't own the property that, you know, they, they don't live in the property that they own. So I like absentees. I would not tell anybody not to, you know, not to mail them. Definitely mail them. They're good leads.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Can So, so you know, folks who are probably listening to the show, since this is pr- primarily a wholesaling show, you know, who knows, maybe, I, I think we're going to have a, quite a few newer investors. Um And, and I was hope, hoping we could take just five, seven minutes or so to to kind of go start to finish, right? Okay. Hey, I want I want to be a wholesaler. I'm going to do my first deal. What do I do? Step one, step two, step three. Walk me through the process really
4: quickly. All right. So beginning wholesalers, if they're saying, you know, this sounds interesting, this is something that I want to do. What I recommend them do is to go out there and get in their car, drive around their neighborhoods, and look for properties where the grass is tall, it looks like it may be vacant, no one lives there. That's a good place to start. And what you wanna do after that is you wanna contact these people. And the way that you can contact them is you can go into the county uh, county website and it'll tell you the address of the property and the mailing address of where they send the tax information. Now, if that address where they send the tax information is different from the property address, that's usually a good sign, meaning that they don't live in that property. Okay. Um, if the address is the same, that doesn't necessarily mean you know walk away from it. You may still be able to get that property, you know, lock that property up. But um, what what you want to do next is what I like to do is I like to look in Yellow Pages or I have a service that I use called Accurate, which is um, you know what private investigators use. I use that to find a phone number of the person that lives in that property or that is associated with that property, okay? Um, you know, and after you do that, ask them if they're interested in selling their property. If they are interested in selling, what you're going to then do? Well, can I can I
0: stop you really quick? Um, uh, so you said it was called AccuRent? uh Accu-Rent?
4: Yes, uh Accurate by LexisNexis.
0: Oh, okay. Got it. Got it.
4: Yeah, it's a um a service that lets you do you know, find, informate public, public and private information on individuals.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So, and we, we could uh, hopefully link to that in the in the show notes at BiggerPockets slash show forty two, and and so I want to know about contacting these folks. You get the phone number and you say, all right, I'm going to call this guy. Well, what exactly? Uh, y- you know, you said you just t- tell them that you know you you find out if they're interested in selling the house, but is is that it? I mean, I'm 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 sure there's more to the picture than just that, right?
4: Yeah. And most of the times when you find these type of properties, you're not going to be able to contact the individual at first. It's going to be hard. So what I do is I like to snoop around I'll get the neighbor's phone number, the person across the street. I'll get a relative's phone number, and the way that you can get the relatives' information is because the service I use, accurate it gives you that information on these people. And I'll just simply call them up. I'll say, "Hey, can you help me? I'm looking for the person that owns this home." Most of the time, probably eighty percent, eighty percent of the time, I'll be able to get a phone number out of these individuals. And then once I get the actual homeowner or the decision maker on the phone, then I will, you know, talk to them. I'll say, "Hey." I was driving around the neighborhood. Came across this property. Doesn't look like anybody lives there. What What's your plans with the property? Are you planning on living there? You know, is it vacant? You thinking about selling it? Um, you know, after that, I get a feel for I get a feel for what they're doing with it. And um, I'll say, Hey, listen, I'm a cash buyer. I would be interested in purchasing your property. If you're interested in selling, um, I like to come out there and take a look at the property. Um, at that point, you know, they may say, Hey, yes, we. we you know, I'm interested in doing that. Um, you can come and take a look at the property. From from there, I'll say, hey, well, what I want to do is I will get a estimate as to what we may be able to pay for the property so that we don't waste your time. And I'll call you back with an estimate and let you know what I will be interested in paying for the property so that I don't waste my time going out there if they're thinking they want $100,000 for the property and I'm around 20,000. So, um, you know, to get my estimate, What I'll do is, I'll look at the recent cash sales in the area. Um, I don't like to do the ARV minus repairs, you know, all of that. I like to go after what investors are willing to pay for properties. And I'll look at the sales from the last six months absentee owned um, properties, meaning that the person who bought the property doesn't live in it. Okay. And then I will, you know, see what they paid for similar properties that are like the one that I'm you know interested in and so and
0: and where do you find that uh, where do you find that information on the cash buyers uh, sales
4: uh, that's an MLS now if for people who don't have MLS what I like to do is and I I actually use this site right now it's Zillow Zillow is it works wonders for me Um, in my local market in some other markets it doesn't work at all but in my local market what I like to do is I'll look at the recent sales, so the properties that are in good shape, renovated properties, I'll, I'll look at them and then I'll look at properties that have sold recently in that area within the last six months that have sold for less than what that renovated property sold for. So I'm going to assume that that property, okay, the, the ones that are selling for less, are investors just purchasing those properties. It may not always be the case, but it's a good number to go by. And I'll give them a range that is between what I want to purchase the property for and what that other property sold for. Okay. And then that's when I will, I'll say, Hey, I'll be able to pay between, you know, let's say 30 and and 40,000 for this property. And depending on the condition, if you're interested, we can go ahead and schedule an appointment. If not, you know, we can go our separate ways and I'll put them on follow-up.
1: Got it. Okay. You know, I love this idea that you're talking about. I don't think we've anybody talk about it quite like that you say for beginners to start out with uh driving for dollars essentially and the reason why i like that so much is because a lot of people recommend just go out and start direct mailing just go out and start mailing but you can waste thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on direct mail if you don't know how to close a deal or how to negotiate and so yeah by doing it on a small scale and perfecting your skills once you've got that down then you can translate that and scale it upward definitely I i love that
4: You'll be able to practice talking to actual sellers on a phone as well.
1: Yeah, before yeah. you're dropping thousands of dollars. So, yeah.
0: and I, and I think that's terrific. that's somewhere where these guys are new new investors in particular are, are are fearful, right? It's it's scary to get on the phone and talk to somebody the
1: first time. Yeah,
3: definitely. I still remember
1: yeah. Danny Johnson on the podcast we did with him. He said the first time his phone rang, he took the phone and threw it across the room at his wife. <laughs> 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 yeah. I'm. Nice. I'm sure I did the same thing or something similar. All right. So, cool.
0: All right. So we got a deal. We got this. We got this guy. We we say 35, 40k. He says yes. Let's. You know that 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 could work. Now what?
4: All right. Now we'll go out to the property. We'll take a look at it. The only way that that'll change is if the property is a complete shell. Um, that number will change, or if the property is in better shape than what we you know first imagined. We'll go up maybe a little bit. But um, after that, we'll tell the seller, we'll say, hey, we'll give them our final offer. Um, Our final offer, if they accept it, we'll then get the contract signed. Uh, Once the contract is signed, we now have equitable interest in the property so we can go out there and market it as if it's our own Um, at that point. We will then go out there, market the property, and I'm telling you guys how to do it as if you're doing it in your own market. Um, you know, As I said earlier, I do a lot of virtual wholesaling, so other people find the buyers, but it, you go out there, you, you market the property on Craigslist, banded signs, you can send postcards out to recent buyers in the area within the past six months. And once someone tells you that they're interested in the price that you mark it up as, so if you get under contract for $30,000 and you mark it up to $40,000, if somebody's interested in it at $40,000, then what you'll do is you'll say, okay, you're interested in this property or this property. Give us a deposit for $1,000. We'll put it in the escrow at the title company. Okay. And then what we'll do is we'll sign a, what you call an assignment contract. We'll sign this assignment contract. Okay, they'll purchase the property from me for forty thousand dollars for my position in the contract that I had with the seller. Okay, which the original contract is thirty thousand dollars. In order to take my position, they'll pay me ten thousand dollars, which is the assignment fee. Okay, and do you get um,
1: that? At, yeah, do you get that at closing or do you get that right
4: then? When uh, you assign it, you it's possible to get to get it right then but I haven't done it that way, you can get that at closing. Okay. Um, most people th- most people get it at closing. So what you're gonna do is you're gonna take those two contracts, the original contract with the seller, the assignment contract with the buyer, you take that, you take it to a title company or closing attorney, and they will run title to make sure that the property is clear of any, uh, to make sure that the owner is the owner, who they say they are, and make sure that it was properly transferred in the past. Um, after that, usually title takes about, depending on what area you're in, I say it take up to of two weeks, three weeks, it will take about between one and two weeks for them to run title. After that, they'll say it's clear, schedule the closing between the seller and the buyer, and then what'll happen is the seller will come in there, sign the, the paperwork, they'll get their check, buyer will come in, they will sign their paperwork, um, You know, they'll wire the funds in, they'll get the property. And then the title company, they'll call you up within, you know, maybe a day or a couple hours and say, your check is ready and uh, you get paid.
1: Cool. All right. Well, and just a reminder for everyone out there, if that was confusing to people, if it's your first time hearing this whole concept, you know, definitely hit the rewind button and listen again. Cause that was, that was brilliant right there. I mean, that was, that was wholesaling in a nutshell. That was great.
3: Right, so. well,
0: well, well, so I, I've got a couple questions that come up. I'm, uh, you're talking with that, that initial seller. Are you telling them that you're not the end buyer?
4: What I usually tell them is that either myself or a partner will purchase this property um, and that that doesn't you know make it t- make it seem as if you're you're actually trying to get over on them. you're not yeah. telling the truth so you know I'll say myself or a partner.
0: Gotcha. okay and And have you ever had that turn sour and, and, and everything just say you know the, the seller get angry or just kind of lose a deal over something like that?
4: No, I've never had
0: an issue with that. Okay, all right. Yeah,
1: money's money to them, huh? Yeah.
0: yeah. And what about what about a situation where you know you, you don't find the buyer in time? So that you know, I think that's the biggest fear from uh, new wholesalers. Other than obviously getting on the phone with people, which I said earlier was the biggest fear. But uh, you know, what if, what if you can't find somebody? Then what? You know, how does okay. how does that work?
4: Now one thing you want to make sure you do before before you even consider this is make sure you have the right contract that has an out clause for you because without an out clause then you could possibly be sued. So if I do not find a if if I have a 30-day contract, if I don't find a buyer within 15 days, I will then let the seller know, "Hey, we may need a discount or a continuance on this property." Okay? Um, if I feel as though there's not a lot of buyers biting on it, then within, uh, you know, five, at least five to 10 days before it's actually supposed to close or the, you know, before the contract ends, I'll send them a letter stating that, Hey, you know, we can't purchase this property due to whatever clause you have in the contract due to my partner not approving, um, or due to not being able to, you know, receive financing for this property or whatnot
0: gotcha and and obviously presumably you, you get your uh, your lawyer to draft up a a a good contract for
1: you
4: yes yeah or get them to review a contract that you you have
1: yeah that would yeah. be cheaper i suppose there you go do you have a minimum wholesale fee like that you will do a deal for
4: um actually well if it's locally here I want to at least make $5,000. And some other markets, um, you know, some deals, it'll be $2,000. Some deals, it'll be $10,000. So I would say no, I don't have a minimum, but I would say make sure you make at least $5,000 um, on a deal. There may be some deals where you'll come across where you just want to help out that seller and you may get by making about 2500 $2, and you know, I'll say, hey, do those. You know, it's like you said earlier, it's better to make, you know, some money, even no money.
0: Yep. And, and what's the most you've ever made on a wholesale?
4: Uh, the most I've made was fifty six thousand.
0: So wow. you made fifty six thousand, and there was still room in there for the uh, for the buyer to rehab and and make his profit too. Yes. Wow. What was, Can you tell us about that deal?
4: Uh, it was a it was a virtual wholesale deal. Um, it was in a market. It was a commercial property. I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> it was actually uh, more than uh, more than that made um, another investor a wholesaler he put the deal together um, you know he made the numbers work out he found a buyer for it. it took about four months but uh we made it work wow and
0: where where did you find the commercial property
4: uh it was actually I sent it off to an um my eviction, the eviction, the list that I pull for evictions. There's no telling if it's a. Well, I don't usually know if it's a residential property or a commercial property.
0: Ah, so
4: it. he was processing an eviction, and um, you know he called us. He said, "Okay, I have this, you know, 34 unit. <laughs> um, I want to get rid of it." And I told my guy. He said, "I know somebody that can help us out with it. Let's go ahead and see if we can make it happen."
1: That's nice. Really. Really cool. I'm totally doing <laughs> that now. All right, so that's cool. So how did Mike, you? Uh, you're gonna have Brandon calling. You, I know by I'm the gonna way, be calling like, you as I. Hey as I Mike, go, I, yeah. I, I <laughs> want to talk
0: to these eviction guys. Now what?
1: <laughs> so how do you find? How did you find a a guy to buy that property in that area? Like obviously you had to find somebody a, a cash buyer that could close on a 34 unit.
4: Uh, the the way, I, like I told you, I didn't know anything about commercial properties. My partner on the ground. He got with someone in the area that knew commercial properties, and he worked it through them.
1: That's cool, and that's just so was, another benefit of partnerships. Is
4: exactly where you're you lacking somebody, somebody else more can, expertise than you.
1: Yeah. And you had
0: mentioned you had mentioned Craigslist earlier. What what other uh, and 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 the signs and things like that? Are, are there any other uh, great tactics for for finding your buyers, or you really find the, the bulk of your your buyers? Well, you're not doing even that work, right? It's usually your partner.
4: Yes, it's usually my partner. But um, actually, I'm getting ready to go to an auction here now in Richmond, and that's a and the reason why I'm going is because I want to see, um, you know, I want to meet guys, network, and see, you know, because if you go to an auction, those are cash buyers; those are people yep. buying properties, interested in properties. Talk to them, hand out your cards, and uh, you know, see what they're see what they're looking to, looking to buy. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: that's I think yeah, Travis Daggett, I think said that in his podcast too, and I I love that tip. So yeah, that's uh, fantastic. Yeah, what
0: what cool. about what about your uh, your tips for building rapport with with sellers? Because you know, obviously, you're hitting people up who are at a challenging point in their lives. What do you do besides being a nice guy?
4: Pretty much, ask them how can you help them. Um, you know, try to solve their problem. Try to find out what's really you know getting to them. Like you know, a friend of mine. What he said was, is he tells them he he told me. Sellers have a headache. They have this headache. It's a throbbing headache. And you want to be their Advil. You want to be their medicine. You want to, you know, fix their headache. So that, that's, all, that's all you have to do really to build up that good rapport with them. That's nice. cool.
0: That's Hopefully, cool. we can get Bayer to sponsor the Bigger Pockets podcast. <laughs> Bigger Pockets, the world of headache solvers.
2: Yes. There you go. Yeah. This show is sponsored by Airbnb.
5: Transform your lead generation and deal making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at DealMachine.com/bp.
2: Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP.
1: So I have a question for you. Then we talked earlier about, your best deal you've ever done do you have any terrible mistakes or really bad deals other than that first one like ha- have you had any major problems since then
0: i thought i was grinding it in brandon you're gonna make him feel bad i mean like because you made a really big mistake back then <laughs> by the way i feel kind of bad because i felt like i was digging in on you earlier but it, my, my goal was to not dig on you but to you know make uh, yeah. make others understand what's happening
4: my biggest mistake was a property here in my local market. Um, I got greedy and I got the property at a a super deep discount. I believe it was around 13,000. Okay. And I had a buyer. I took him. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. He, he, um, you know, he went over to, to the property with me and he looked at it and he said, okay, I'll pay you. I think it was maybe 16,000 for the property or, I know it was less than 5000 because that's I went back what I did my mistake was I went back to the seller and I said hey can we you know take off maybe a thousand or 2000 because I wanted to make it 5000 even so um she said no I'm not you know I'm not coming down on the price and what ended up happening was she ended up not answering any of my phone calls after that oh, and she went out there and she found somebody to list her property for forty six thousand dollars, and it sold.
0: Oh, interesting!
4: And uh, that was my biggest mistake. After that, I never renegoti- renegotiate price anymore, um, unless it's I, I definitely unless it's necessary. I need to if I can't find a buyer. Not just yeah. out of you know saying hey, I want to make a, a this amount of money on a property.
0: Now, yeah. did you have a contract with her uh, prior to this, or, or- a valid
4: contract? I had a valid contract. And um that's another mistake that I didn't do. I did not record the contract or I tried to record the contract but I did not get uh I, I did not get it uh I can't I'm going blank right now. Notarized? Notarized. I didn't get it notarized so my county would not let me record the contract.
0: Okay. Interesting. So so you didn't have a valid contract because it wasn't notarized. Or, well it was valid it just wasn't you had not- It was a valid contract yeah, yeah. it just
4: wasn't valid to the To the city, (laughs) yeah.
0: So your recourse was limited. Yeah, cool. Well, well,
1: you know, uh, let's move on to one kind of last section before we uh, begin to wind things down, and that is something you talk about a little bit on your own site is using virtual assistants in your business. Uh, So, can you kind of explain to people what that is?
4: Okay, uh, a virtual assistant, or for short, a VA, is basically someone who works from home or they're, you know, they're in a different location from you, and they do whatever you want them to do. Um, the way that I use my virtual assistants in my business now is I use them to answer the phones for me. Uh, well, actually I use them to return phone calls for me. So they'll talk to sellers, they will build up that good rapport with them, they'll take their information down, they will send my leads off to my assistants on the ground, my boots on the ground, they will wait for them to get back to them with how much we can pay for the property. And then what they'll do is they'll call the sellers back, make that offer, and then set appointments up. Um, yeah, so that's how, that's how I use my virtual assistants.
0: Now, where, where do you find these guys?
4: Um, they, are, they are located in the Philippines. I find them on a website, uh, odesk.com. Gotcha. I go out there, I hire them, bring them on, send them my training, and um, you know bring them on board.
0: And w- what do you pay a, a Filipino, a Filipina, or Filipino um, uh, virtual assistant?
4: Well, I started off paying them three dollars an hour, and um, that's actually a good rate for someone in the Philippines. Um, my assistant—they've been doing a great job for me. Uh, my, one of my assistants, she's done a great job for me. I pay her strictly on commission now.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And how's the English? I mean, I know most people go to the Philippines because, you know, English is a primary language there, but is there, you know, is there any confusion or is it straight, you know, you feel like you're talking to somebody in the Philippines?
4: No, it's, um, their English is, is, it's, it's great. <laughs> Some yeah. people, they think about the big, large uh, companies when you call and you get somebody on the phone and you can't understand them. Right, right. And I don't know where they hire their folks, but they, they, <laughs> they need to hire them on Odes because their English is great nice
1: that's good that's good do you do they work then because you're on like i think it's like what a 15 hour difference or something like that so is there is that what it is something like that okay yeah Yeah, Yes, 13 hours okay yeah so So, um, how does that work for day night do they work overnight then on their time
4: yes they work overnight the way that my assistants work is they don't answer the phones for me anymore i have a call service who answers the phones for me and then they will, um, I have it set up where I, it's a Google form. They'll type the information in. It'll go into an Excel spreadsheet. My assistant will then get all of the information and forward it over to our partners on the ground. But um, the way that they work is they used to work from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. and then from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Because what we realize is that they can catch the people in the morning before they go to work or they can catch them in the evening when they come home. So that's that's worked out great for us. So.
1: Okay, And how do you make sure your virtual assistant is actually working? I, I had a virtual <laughs> assistant that, that I hired that I'm I mean, she said she was working 40 hours a week and she maybe did two hours a week. So I fired her and got a new guy, which he's doing better, but still probably not working still 40 probably hours not a 40 week, hours though. a week. Yeah, and yeah, how do you?
4: Well the, the way that I like to do that is I put a lot of trust in people. And one of my assistants, she's one of the best assistants that I have. She's worked with me in far as hiring other virtual assistants. And she said that the reason why she wanted to work with me and she liked working with me is because I trusted, I trust her. And I gave her, I didn't track her, I didn't track her time. I didn't go out there and put her on one of those tracking softwares and I was open with her and I communicated. So the way that she put it was, I love working for you. You know, you're not always on my back about things. You you're, you let me be flexible. And, you know, that's that's what they want. They want someone that's flexible and I don't keep track of their time. I can tell by how much work they're putting in and the output. To say, okay, you know, if my assistant is working thirty hours a week and I'm paying her for forty, if she's doing a good job, I'm okay with that.
1: Okay. So then, last question I have about that: if somebody wants to go get a VA and they want to use ODesk, do they go on there and search for somebody's profile, or do they go put a posting on? Like, what? How should somebody start that process today?
4: the The way that I like to do it is I like to do both. Um, you can go out there, you can put up a job posting. But then also what I like to do is I like to search for assistants that have experience. Um, someone, they told me, they said, make sure you find someone that has experience. And that was the best. It, it may seem simple, but that was the best advice that I received. Because once I went out there and started looking for people with experience, then you know my whole outlook on hiring virtual assistants just changed. Because when you bring someone on your team that has assist- uh, experience with call centers, then you don't have to train them as much. Yeah.
1: That's cool. That's very cool. All right. Well, why don't we move on to uh, the fire round? Fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right. All right. All right. Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll try not to burn you here. All right. Well, I actually had six questions for the fire round, but you answered two of them already in the process of this. So we only have four questions for the fire round. Number one, uh, these all come from the forums directly. These are questions that people have asked recently as, and these all came from the wholesaling forum. So number one, how do you deal with angry people when they call you?
4: Uh, it's a good question. I don't actually talk to them anymore. <laughs> <That's true>. Uh, <laughs> The way that we used to deal with it is we used to just have them leave voicemail messages and um I'll just save them and listen to them at a later date because they were so funny. So we just don't call them back. <laughs>
1: okay, well, that works. Gotcha. gotcha. Hey, All well, right. Speaking of that then real quick, I, I was going to ask this earlier and I forgot. So when your virtual assistants call those people back, at what point do you personally or your partner actually get on the phone with them? Is that never?
4: Uh, I, I never talk to sellers anymore. Um the only time that my partners will talk to sellers is if when they go out and look at the property. And even then my partners on the ground they don't make the offers. My assistants when they get back when they get back and give us the information they make the offers.
1: Okay, so your assistants are doing some kind of market research to see the price that they can offer.
4: No, they're getting the price that they can offer from my partners on the ground. Okay, I see. Okay, cool. All right, moving on. That's And uh, and that's thing.
0: so the person who actually physically signs the contract with the seller is who then?
4: Whom? That would be my partner on the ground. That would be your partner.
0: Is
1: it who or whom?
4: I don't know.
0: Who or whom? Uh, that's, that's one of them. All right, anyway, All right, next
1: question, fire round.
0: All right. Um. And, and I think we kind of covered this, but h- how do you frame up wholesaling to the seller?
4: Uh, I don't. We yeah. just tell them that we're purchasing the property. Yep. Okay, yeah, with the partner.
1: And I like that when you said uh, that either me or my partner will do it. I, I really like that a lot because it's, yeah. it's not being dishonest at all. It makes them feel comfortable. I think it's cool. So, All right, next one. Uh, billboards, have you used them? Should you use them?
4: No, I have not used them. Um, should Should you use them? It depends on your, your market. Um, you could. You could use them and have great success. I see a lot of uh, We Buy Houses signs out there, some of the big uh, – the the big wholesaling companies, I guess you can say. I see them have signs up, and I if they continue to stay up, I guess they do work. Yeah,
5: there's a there's a
1: billboard in my town that you can rent, and it said I looked into it. It's 250 dollars a month for me to rent this big billboard. Now, granted, I have to pay for the thing, but I thought 250 a month for. Like, I don't know. I mean, my area is really not, cheap. My area is really that's cheap. really cheap. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. really cheap.
0: Brandon's and, just going to rent it out and put a picture of him with his cats I on it. I have thought
1: about that, honestly. <laughs> I thought <laughs> there's a big picture of me up there. So it's like, hey, have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. Uh, Josh, you want to finish it up?
0: <laughs> oh, boy, that's funny. <laughs> how, how, how important are business cards?
4: Business cards are very important. Um I realize that when I go out to to meet um, to networking events and I don't have a business card, I'm inconveniencing the other individual by saying, "Hey, can I get your number put into my phone?" And they want to go out there and meet other individuals as well. So business cards are very important. I say you should always have some on you.
1: That's I agree. a great suggestion. I mean, I don't carry them with me because I'm usually not like unless I'm going to a networking event. But you're right; if it inconveniences people to have to sit there and program into a cell phone, and
0: here's yeah. a tip. Here's a tip: take take like three or four cards and put them in your wallet, and always have them in your wallet. I mean, exactly. that's that's just the way to do it. And that way, you know, as you start to get low, you go and you refill it. But there's, I personally, I think there's no excuse for not having a card at any point in time. I mean, I could see going to an event and running out, but uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're you're definitely inconveniencing the other person, and and well, I I think part of it's saying, you know, what I don't think you're important enough to give your information to, right? I mean, it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm better than maybe it's like, I'm better than you. And, um, I'll reach out to you if I care to versus having it be kind of a
1: mutual relationship. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, Wise. All right. So final session of our little podcast here is the famous for famous for famous. Yeah. (laughs) Famous (laughs) for, All right, and we asked. We've questions. lost the enthusiasm. We've to completely do we lost to. the enthusiasm. All right, well, no more famous for. All right, what is your favorite real estate book?
4: Has to be Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, good choice.
0: That yeah. was that was a tough tough yeah, one. Right? I thought that might be <laughs> it. All right, and 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 your favorite non real estate book, and I'm guessing it's Four Hour Work Week.
4: <laughs> it, you know what? That 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 in the E Myth. Oh man, both you know. good choices.
1: Yeah, they're great. Yeah, they're uh. great. <laughs> hey Josh, yeah. what page number are you on this week?
0: I'm still on twenty seven, Brandon. <laughs> Good job. I, I believe I was on twenty seven on show forty and perhaps on show thirty nine as well.
1: Yeah, you may have been. You know, we'll keep bugging you. Yeah. Yeah uh, well I've been bugging you to read uh Lean Startup now. I told you to put the four hour work week down we four hour work week down for a little bit and read lean startup instead, but you
4: know.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll see what's good. We'll see right. what's good. All right, hobbies. Hobbies. What kind of what kind of stuff do you do for fun outside of real estate?
4: I love CrossFit. I'm a big CrossFitter. Really? Um yeah, I love working out. CrossFit is uh it's I love it. <laughs> okay. Um also um I like to I'm what you call a picker. I like to uh find stuff at local flea markets and uh sell it on eBay.
0: Really? Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's a that's that's one of my guilty pleasures is that that pick and show. I forget what it's called, but uh, <laughs> the uh, it seems like it could be it could be fun. But uh, you know, may, maybe one day when I retire,
1: yeah, maybe one day.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's a hobby.
1: All right, final question: What do you believe sets apart the investors who succeed from those who do not?
4: Um, just a firm belief in themselves. Um, you just have to. You know, tell yourself that you can do it and just be your biggest fan and go out there and make things work.
0: Cool. Yeah, that's that's great. Answer. Yeah. Very, very good advice. All right, Mike. Well, listen, I, I think uh, we, we certainly covered a lot in, in, uh, in a short bit of time here. Uh, where, can, where can people find out about you?
4: Well, if you guys would like to find out more about me and um, learn about the techniques that I use in wholesaling, you can visit my blog, which is wholesalinghouses101.com.
1: Cool. cool. And, and you do have some really good videos on there so I do encourage people to check the videos out. Nice. Yeah. And you. and you're also on Bigger Pockets of course.
4: Yes, of course. I'm on yes. Bigger Pockets as well. Right on. And we do Hi. appreciate
1: you you're always jumping into those wholesale and forum threads so we do appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Cool. Well, listen, this is show 42 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You can find the show notes at biggerpockets.com/show42. slash and Mike, we we definitely appreciate having you on the show, and uh, we'll you. look forward to seeing you around.
4: All right, thank you, guys.
1: Yep, thank you, Mike.
0: All right, everybody, that was Mike Nelson. Uh, really cool show. Lots of lots of great stuff for for uh, those of you who are interested in the topic of wholesaling, like me. And I, yeah, and there's there's tips in there for everybody also. So uh, if uh, if you're not a wholesaler, hopefully you got some value. Anyway, we, uh, we definitely appreciate uh, Mike's time, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. Make sure you ask Mike any questions you've got for him on uh, the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show42. Find him on his profile. We'll have a link to that on the show notes. And uh, come connect with us on, on uh, the usual networks, of course, the most usual one being Facebook, Bigger Pockets. Oh. Wow. You're fired. How many times have you been fired? Uh, way show? too many
1: times. You hurt my feelings. Mo- moving on. Now I'm gonna cry. It won't be the first time. Won't be the last.
0: <laughs> Far
1: from the last. Yes. Yeah,
0: so so connect with us on on bigger pockets and come hang out. Do some reading. Uh, you know, share your thoughts. If if you're just a, a browser, if you're just somebody who who uh, doesn't engage, you know, you're you're missing out, jump in and, and hang out. But yeah, then can hang out on Facebook and everywhere else and, and come play with us there too. But uh I don't know. I think uh I think that's all I have to say for today. Brandon, do you have anything? I got nothing. Clearly you don't have anything to say, so I'm just speechless. Go on. What? I'm sorry. Did you Hi. say so it's Hi. what I'm speechless. You you you're never at a loss for words. I am at a loss for words. Time Wrap to go. Up. Well I'm Josh Dorkin signing off.
2: all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So, if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com/four today and join us in the small multifamily boot camp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own.